A mother had a dark heart feeling. It was as big as the sky kept inside a thimble. That's how dark heart feelings are. They have great volume but can hide in small places. You can swallow them with a blink and carry them inside you so no one will know. Something's not right, she said when she brought baby Davy home from the hospital. She rubbed her fingers over her chest and looked at him sleeping in the crook of her arm. I have a feeling, she said. She was good at knowing the wrongness of things, sadnesses and sicknesses, and in the park she could always find the pigeon with one leg. She knew when Mrs Gasper was coming down with a wheeze before she wheezed, she knew my thin hair was caused by some undiagnosed malady. Some days were more wrong than others, whole days from the moment she opened her eyes. Something's not right, she said. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hi, and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. My name is Angus. You just heard Karen Foxley reading from her new kids' novel, Lenny's Book of Everything. The narrator, Lenny Spink, is in third grade and has an obsession with beetles, from giant goliaths to the little ladybird she finds on a rose bush and slips into a matchbox. Lenny says her mother, Cynthia, is made up exclusively of worries and magic, and Lenny's little brother, Davy, has a mysterious ailment that means he can't stop growing. As Davy rapidly grows taller, his condition begins to jeopardise his health. But here to distract the Spink family from money woes, thinning hair and Davy's toes bursting through the ends of his shoes is Burrell's Builded at Home Encyclopedia. Every week, a new catalogue of knowledge arrives in their mailbox to be eagerly devoured by Lenny and Davy. Karen, thanks so much for coming to talk to us about this wonderful book. Okay, so I'm one of those people that like wanders through a bookshop and reads all the first sentences of a book to judge them, which is almost as superficial as judging a book by its cover. (laughs) But I've got to say the first line of that book, which you just heard, is one of those ones that just really tantalise you immediately. And it was the first line from the very beginning. Yeah. That was the first thing I wrote on the page. So often first lines can change, but... That was there from the start. Yeah, totally nailed it from Mm. the beginning. Um, So was it one of those cases where you just sort of wrote that line and built the story around it or did you have some other things going beforehand? I had a very strange collection of ideas about a decade ago and very, I just had an idea for a boy who kept growing and it had to somehow involve an encyclopedia set because I have a lot of memories about encyclopedia sets which just seemed like such an odd collection of ideas but I I really liked them and I sat down and I tried to write and they wouldn't work so I gave up put it away and then uh, this those ideas started to call me again while I was doing the editing work on my last book A Most Magical Girl and when I sat down Lenny Spink was there waiting for me that beautiful character and she said that line my mother had a dark heart feeling and I kind of had a feeling myself that it was all going to be okay I was wondering if it was one of those lines because there are writers and authors that come up with a really fabulous line and like I've got to have a story that I can put this in but it sounds like things were knocking around for a very long time for a long time yeah when you you know started writing the first book was The Anatomy of Wings is that right that's right book for adults so what led you to write that book you were a nurse before you started writing is that right yeah my background is nursing but I'd written from when I was really young and then 
probably that novel I'd had banging around in my head for about a decade as well. So uh, I'd always wanted to write and I always had story ideas but was not very good at ever finishing them. So The Anatomy of Wings, I really wanted to get that story out of me and onto the page uh, more than to have it published even. I just had this story idea for uh, that story is about a girl who uh, dies suddenly in an outback mining town and the story is told by her younger sister. I read that one of the first stories you ever wrote was on butcher's paper when you were seven. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what that story was about? Yeah, definitely. About? I've still got it. It's in a little exercise book oh, at cool. home. So that story, which is very, uh, I can, I mean, that really set me on my path to becoming a writer because I can remember that day. I grew up in Mount Isa out in the desert and it was very hot and I had a strange feeling that something was going to happen. So I grabbed a piece of butcher's paper and lay on the laundry floor. First story I ever wrote and it was about a girl who finds a horse in a dry creek bed and of course she gets to keep the horse because she trains it. And my mother just really encouraged me and said that's amazing. So it made me feel really good and I felt quite magical that I'd created something out of nothing. And I never stopped from that point onwards. That's absolutely fantastic. Any plans to bring that into publication from Butcher's Paper? <laughs> I, take it, I take it to schools. It's uh, I had to transcribe it into a little exercise book. My mother so made me do that so I could take it to school to show teachers. And I show it to kids and they think it's hilarious because <laughs> it is actually such a bad story. <laughs> but I, this is where I started. So anyone can do it. Oh, that's very brave mm. of you to <laughs> put that out there. <laughs> so The Anatomy of Wings was your first published book and that was mm-hmm. for adults. And um, as you said, it centered on a young narrator making sense of the death of her sister. Yeah. So I think that was in 2007. Is that right? Yeah, 2007. Yeah. And it seems recently as well, there seems to be like a bit of a renaissance of books for adults that have young narrators. Yeah. I mean, if you think like Sophie Laguna with The Choke and mm-hmm. The Eye of the Sheep and this year's Vogel's Award winner, Emily O'Grady, oh, had that yes. awesome book, The Yellow, the Yellow House, House. Yeah. which was quite a dark story but told from the perspective of this little ragamuffin mm. girl living on a farm. Yeah. So what do you think the appeal is of a reader, an adult reader, reading the perspective of a younger person and what's the advantage of you as a writer sort of inhabiting that perspective? I think I always feel really comfortable writing from a child's perspective and it's something that I return to again and again. And I think it's a way that you can really deal with some pretty big issues uh, but through the voice of a child make them explore them in a way and make them kind of more palatable, I think, Uh Lenny, for instance, is dealing with some pretty big issues, but I just, um, through her eyes, there's also that sense of wonder. Kate DiCamillo calls it peripheral magic, like Mm. even if the story is set in the real world, if you're telling it from the perspective of a child, it can sort of sneak in those little bits of wonder on the edges. I think so. And they see the world in such a different way. Well, speaking of, can you tell us about Lenny Spink? So Lenny is... A young girl in 1970s America in a fictional town called Greyford and she uh, has this younger brother called Davy, who she absolutely loves and uh, he's got a condition that makes him grow and grow and grow. Uh, so she's pretty protective of him 
and uh, also deals with lots of issues because he's quite different. So, you know, she deals with some pretty big issues. She feels ashamed of him sometimes uh, and worried for him and worried for what's going on in their life. But she's also a kid that's filled with absolute wonder for the world around her. And as you said, there's this encyclopedia set that her family have won in a competition that arrives to their door uh, week by week, issue by issue. And through that, she's and and you know her and Davy are discovering the world. Uh, and she falls in love in the bee issues with beetles, and she has her heart set on becoming. Uh, a beetle expert when she grows up and she spends a lot of time thinking about beetles <laughs> and she's just an incredibly brave, kind of quite fierce character, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Lucky. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, so she's 11 in the novel. What was life like for you as an 11-year-old in Mount Isa? Uh, it was good. We had a, like just such a good childhood, really lots of freedoms and lots of exploring, lots of reading, lots of, I was very, I always told stories, so lots of uh, writing adventures, you know, that I can still remember, you know, at what stage I was writing what as a kid. And just, yeah, it was a great place to grow up, sort of away from everywhere. Yeah. So mm. at what point did that encyclopedia set come along? Well, when I was eight when we ha- had an encyclopedia set come into our house and it was bought uh, by my mother. So a travelling salesman came to the door and uh, I, we were all inside. I can still remember, you know, she put up a bit of a fight, but then, yes, she bought this encyclopedia set. We went to a furniture shop and bought a bookshelf and that sat in our dining room empty for weeks while we waited for this encyclopedia set to arrive. (laughs) And as an eight-year-old, I didn't really know what was going to happen and I didn't really know what, how much our life was going to change when those books arrived. But when they did, I mean, this is the 1970s, so it was a long time before Google and all of those things. We were, it was like the world just moved into our living room, basically. And, you know, we could just open up to find out, you know, a map of the moon or what people were wearing in ancient Greece. And it was just incredibly exciting. Yeah. What did they look like? We had the Merit Student Encyclopedia, which was dark green and uh, kind of had a rippled texture and literally fell apart. We used them that much. You know, they're all held together by masking tape now. I still have quite a few of a few of the copies at home oh, that so, I salvaged. It's so cool that you have all these artifacts from your childhood yes. that you still have. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hoarder. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Um so Lenny in the book, as you said, becomes really fixated on the Beatles. Mm. Uh Davy loves the birds of prey and yes. as a result of reading the eagle section, an imaginary eagle takes up residence on his shoulder and it's called yes. Timothy. Do you remember sort of taking a particular fascination or fixation from the encyclopedia? Uh, well, yeah. I remember things that I loved in that encyclopedia set. There was a whole set of colour plates on costume through history, which I used to adore. And I would look at all the little individual characters and make up stories about them and... 
I also loved the map of the moon, I can remember, and that features in the book as well, an argument about who owns what seas on the moon and straight from my life. And there was, uh, I remember, I actually had an imaginary friend that I would take from a page in the book who was St. Catherine, where fireworks, uh, the Catherine's wheel come from. So I would... Uh, open that page and click my fingers and let her out of the book. And just yet so many memories associated with those pages. With Lenny and Davy, both beetles and eagles are things that can fly away. So were you looking to tap into that sense of freedom, adventure, or perhaps a feeling of wanting to escape in those characters with the things that they really clicked with? I think all all of that. I think, you know, they, they're growing up on this big, long street called Second Street in a tiny little apartment. Their mum works two jobs to support them. They spend a lot of time across the hallway with Mrs Gaspar, their crazy Hungarian neighbour, and they really escape into those pages and uh, just experience the world through those pages. They do develop that idea of wanting to run away, uh, which is a big thread in the book. And not that their life is, is really, really terrible, but they have this dream of running away to this place called Great Bear Lake and uh, where Davy will have Timothy sort of on his shoulder. That's quite a, a really big part of the story. Yeah. Is that in Canada? Yes. Yeah. Up in the Northwest Territories. Why did this book find a home in its American setting rather than Australia? Yeah. Good question. Completely unplanned. I, When I tried to write the novel that second time when I had those ideas and I sat down and Lenny was waiting for me I just had her voice and she was talking about this place called Second Street and I kind of had a feeling that I just had to relax and let her talk to me so I was kind of riffing with her voice and she was describing this place and what Davy and her could see so I knew she had a brother straight away from this window and it didn't look Australian at all. It looked American. And my initial kind of reaction was, oh, dear, that's that's a bit tricky. You know, yeah. can I do that? Should I do that? What should I do? You know, I felt quite panicked. And then I remembered that A Most Magical Girl was set in London. And I could, you know, if I just relaxed and described that street, which is where most of the action takes place. Yeah. I was going to be all right. I wonder where they would have wanted to escape to if it was in well, Australia. Well, see, a few times I thought, still got time, can change it to oh, Australia. Yeah. But then I could never think of an equivalent to Great Bear Lake. Yeah. I'd be like, could they live in Melbourne and want to run away to Cairns? It just never worked. Yeah. And that's such an important part of the book. Absolutely. And mm. you do have that really clear image of those massive Canadian lakes yes. with the mountains and the pine yes. trees and all of that. And they're going to walk there. You know, it's such a, a ridiculous dream they have, but they they just love it. Yeah. So I guess one of the things that sparks that flight of fancy that they're going to escape is Davy's condition, which yes. sort of constantly stresses out the family. Was that condition of, you know, this continual growing mm. based on a real disease? In the beginning it was, you know, there's lots and lots of conditions and syndromes that can cause, uh, you know, abnormal growth. So pituitary gigantism is probably the most well-known cause. 
so I was reading a lot about that and, you know, it's quite treatable nowadays and even in the 70s, yes, inroads were being made. So I had to kind of use a fair bit of artistic licence with Davy's illness and give him a really one-of-a-kind condition, like very rare. So his, you know, his condition actually has a lot of serious effects on his health and his tumour doesn't behave like the tumours that are associated with pituitary gigantism. Yeah. Apart from that, I guess Lenny and Davy's life is um, fairly, fairly normal. I mean, it, it's tough because, you know, there's not a lot of money in their family mm. and, and all of that sort of stuff. As you were writing them, um, did you reflect at all on the differences between those kids growing up in the 1970s and what kids are sort of growing up doing now? It is amazing the differences between those two Eras. In, as far as um, knowledge and access to knowledge and those kind of things, I guess kids you still have, you know, I write about friendship and that doesn't really change and, you know, the big issues of love and, and that doesn't change and sibling love. So uh, between the two there's a lot of similarities and differences, I guess. What have some of the reactions been from kids who have read Lenny's Book of Everything? Oh, there's been some beautiful, like, you know, uh, Alan and Unwin have collated a whole heap of reviews from early readers and and they've just really fallen in love with Lenny and Davey and really talked about how much the book made them stop and be grateful for what they have. And and then when I've been out talking to kids uh, already, just so interested in the difference between how we access knowledge and you know I actually take some of my old encyclopedias and um, and tell them you know stories about what we had to do when we needed to know something yeah. which they find really fascinating yeah like do they get do they get the wonder that Lenny and Davy feel at this encyclopedia when they've grown up in the world where you know everything yeah, they want to know is at just, the end of their fingertips exactly well they yeah i think they're really interested in it Definitely. I wonder if there's an encyclopedia publisher out there going, thank God, (laughs) you know, there's some kids that are going to be interested in print encyclopedias. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, So uh, you predominantly write kids' books. Mm. Do you read a lot of kids' books as well? I do. I do. I have a 10-year-old. So I spend, you know, lately my reading habits have been mostly based around reading with her. So lots and lots of kids' books. And, you know, kids' books from my past as well as stuff that's that's out now. Okay, what are some of the the past ones that you've been uh, doing? We into? have been doing all the Pippi Longstockings which have been they've stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. They're still as funny as they were when they were read to me. Uh, recently we did The Doll's House by Ruma Godan which is beautiful and we wept at the end of that. So very moving and beautifully written stories. Uh, but other things haven't worked. You know, Enid Blyton, which I grew up on a steady diet of yeah. Enid Blyton, I'm just, no, not interested at all. Okay, everyone's yeah. got a taste. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, come on, laugh. You must laugh. <laughs> yeah. But no, not funny at all, okay. apparently. <laughs> Reading your book, you can really get a sense of your style and how, mm. um, I don't know, it just seems so nostalgic and whimsical, but very, very emotional as mm-hmm. well. Do you think there are any authors or books that sort of inspired you or nudge you towards that sort of style? 
I always feel that it comes from in here and it's a big puzzle in my heart and it's a big puzzle that I have to solve each book. And sure, I think a lot of books have shaped probably the way that I write and authors that I've admired, but I think I've always just tried to stay very true to my own style. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Ever since you were seven with the butcher's paper. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's the journey from then. Fantastic. Um, Well, I've asked everything I wanted to, Karen. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for coming in and chatting to us about this awesome, wonderful book. I hope heaps of people read it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Angus. Lenny's Book of Everything by Karen Foxley is published by Alan and Unwin. It's out now and you can get it from all good bookshops, including Good Reading's online bookshop at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Thanks for listening.